before I get to this, just to, you know, Fred touched on it, but <clears throat> with everything going on this week, my, my biggest thought has been all week, why is it so hard for us not to see each other that we're all created in the image of God? I, I just, I don't understand why that's such a hard concept for some people. And like, if you really are looking at somebody different, I, it does, and I'm not even talking about skin color necessarily, but anything different, and you're like, well, they're different than me, and that's a problem, or that's, like, the Bible clearly says, Genesis 1.26, that he lets form man in our image and likeness. And After, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps the earth. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. End of story. There's no buts, ifs, commas, asterisks. Like, we're all in this thing together. Like, God's looking down. He's not separating us and, like, looking and saying, well, I, yeah, I didn't create them. Whoops, I, I messed up over there. Like, I just don't, I don't grasp it. I don't grasp how we can't just look at each other and say we're all creating an image and like the same time. I don't care how short, tall, skinny, thick, Hispanic, black, white, German, Polish, Norway. I, it, it doesn't matter. Like, God created us all. And instead of celebrating our diversity, we, we like, want to challenge it. And, like, I, I just don't get it. I, I really, really don't. And... I'm, I'm like Fred. I just, I just pray that somehow we, we all can look and find the Holy Spirit speaking to us and make a difference together. Like no matter what it takes. I mean, I, you know, I, I know that sometimes your silence is mistaken for things, but I think a lot of people are. It's like you don't know what to do. You're kind of afraid to open your mouth because someone's gonna like want to spew at you, no matter what you say, and. My thing is, I think just everybody just find what God's saying to you and what can you do to make a difference? Where can you, who can you talk to? Who can you speak up to? Who can you write to, call and say, listen, I want to make a difference. What, what do I do? And let the Holy Spirit just guide us all. I mean, I... I it's not that, like, I'll, I'll say this too. I've been to Africa four times. And I'm the only white guy there or the, or the people I'm with. And I've never had any problems. They just love on us. There's no, there's no dissension. They, there's love. There's embrace. And if it can be that way there, it can be that way everywhere. Guys, thank you, praise team. I love you guys. Transition. So we're doing in the chap in the book of John. There's Jesus has seven I am statements. Pastor Fred has taken the first two. He's the bread of life. He is the light of the world. Um. And I firmly would 
uh, encourage you to watch the first two weeks. Um, Pastor Fred has thrown in some amazing nuggets that are just excellent to chew on and really dissect and get your brain thinking. And um, so I'm very thankful that of your words that you've presented the last couple weeks. Um, so the third one today is I am the door. And before I get to I am the door, I kind of did a little back, you know, why, what, what led Jesus to even say I'm the door? There had to be a reason why he just comes out of the blue and says, I'm the door. And so as I'm reading through John 10, it kind of got me thinking, okay, well, I need to backtrack, as usual in the Bible, like, what led to this point? What led to Jesus saying, I am the door? So, in chapter 9, Jesus finds a blind man and heals him. So the guy's healed, he he spits, puts mud on the guy's eyes, tells him to go wash off, and the guy comes back, he can see. So his neighbors and his friends see him, and they're like, wait a minute, I thought you were blind. Like, what, what is this? And then other people are like, well, maybe it's not even really him. And it's like, no, it's me. I was blind. And they're like, well, how did this happen? He says, Jesus did it. So they're like, well, they take him to the Pharisees. And they're like, look, this guy's blind. He sees. So the Pharisees kind of go, first thing they say is, well, who did it? And he says, you know, well, it can't be, him. It can't be a real man of God because it's the Sabbath, and he, he can't work on the Sabbath, can't heal on the Sabbath, so it's not, not of God. But then some of the Pharisees said, well, wait a minute. How could a sinner open a blind man's eyes? He has to be of God. So there's this division amongst the Pharisees, kind of like, well, what, you know, one side says one, one side says the other. So then they asked the guy plainly, what do you say? This man that healed you, his eyes, what do you, what do you think he is? And he says something kind of telling. He says, he, I think he's a prophet. So, of course, there's a little bit of fear of the Pharisees because if he had come out and said, well, he's the Messiah, or he's, you know, definitely of God, or he, he'd have been in trouble. They'd have thrown him out. So he had to be careful. Ah, he's a prophet. I'll take the easy way out. Prophet. So they, the, the, the Pharisees get upset. They're like, go get his parents. So they go grab the, the man's parents. Is this your son? Is this true? He's blind? Yep, he was blind at birth. Now he can see. We don't know how, but he can see. And they're like, well, we understand this. Jesus did it. So they call him back and they say, explain this to us again. And the guy's like, seriously, i got to explain this to you again? I just told you. This man named Jesus came. So this is where I'm going to start reading. This is where it gets very, very telling. They say, second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, this is uh, chapter 9, verse 24. They said to him, give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. In other words, God healed your eyes, not Jesus. The Father, God the Father of Abraham. He healed your eyes. This man's just a sinner. He didn't do it. I want to hear you say it. The guy says, whether he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind. Now I see. Now he means it in the literal sense. Blind, see but it's, it's a foreshadowing of what's to come. They said to him, what did he do to you? How do you open your eyes? And he answered them, I've told you already you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? 
do you also want to be his disciple? Now, I'm sure you know how that went over with the Pharisees. Lit them like a... And they were... Uh, reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but for this man, we do not know where he comes from. And the man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And the Pharisees answered him, you were born in under sin, and you would teach us, and they cast him out. Get out of our presence. So the man leaves. Jesus hears about this. Let's talk to him. Pick it up in verse 35. Jesus heard they cast him out, having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him? And it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I come into this world that those who do not see may see. And those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard, heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Is that what you're implying here? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. I'm going to touch on that statement here in a little bit. Because obviously that statement's kind of, kind of deep. It's kind of, you know, a lot of thought-provoking stuff there. So now we pick it up in verse 10. and put that first slide up again. 10-1. Because as a lot of people know, the Bible is not, was not written in chapters, okay? It's not... They broke it up into chapters later. It makes it easier to find things and to read. So basically, he's continuing right into the same scenario. He's, he didn't leave and go to a different place for chapter 10. Right there still in the same scenario where he left off. So he says, truly, truly. Now, anytime you see in the Bible, and it's very prominent in the book of John, they didn't have bold print back then. They didn't have italics and all these things. So when they wanted to get something, a point across and make it important, Truly, truly. So Jesus is saying, this is important. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. So the first thing we're going to talk about, sheepfold. What the heck is a sheepfold? Next slide. This is an example of one, what it would look like back in Jesus' time. Very simple structure, usually built with stone, three or four feet high, nothing crazy. But if you notice, there's one way in, one way out. And that way in and out was guarded by either the shepherd himself or he would hire a gatekeeper, someone to watch the flock while he was gone. Inside that sheepfold, the sheep feel safe. They're safe from other animal attacks. They're safe from being stolen. They feel like they're in their community together. There's no, you know, discord. There's no wandering off and about. It's like a safe, safe haven for them. And as you can tell, there's probably a lot of spiritual similarity to us. We're referred in the Bible a lot as sheep. Um, 
Sheep are easily led. They like to have a leader. They like to follow. They like to hang out in groups for safety. They feel safe being all together. I'm not going to touch on the rest of that next week. Can we go to the next slide? So we know what a sheepfold is. Now that last part of that verse, verse 1 talks about a thief and a robber. Now they sound about the same thing, but if you break this down, a thief in the Greek is kleptes. This is someone who steals by stealth, sneaky. Sneaks in when you're not looking, puts something in his pocket, walks out. Comes in the middle of the night, takes stuff. But it's also, go back please, it's also used as a false teacher. Someone who leads people astray. Not directly, not like with almost direct intent, but a sneaky. Very sly, the good with their words to get you to kind of question, you know, is this really what I believe? Is this, is this right? Is this wrong? Now your robber is the Greek word leistes. Now this is someone that's stealing using violence. They're going to come right up to you with a weapon and say, let's have it. Hand it over. And they also exploit the vulnerable. That's someone that's, you know, that's down and out, they're, they're weak, they're they're angry at things, and also they're easily influenced. And like, I mean, I can get this person because look at that. Look how mad they are. You know, like something bad's going on in your life, and you're you're angry, but you're a churchgoer, and someone comes up to you and says, "See, why are you believe in that God stuff anyway? You, look what happens to your life when when you believe in God. Nothing good. Exploits the vulnerable, gets their message through, steals your." Salvation, your declaration of God, because you're in a vulnerable spot. See, the enemy has no authority. He can't walk up to the sheepfold and say, I'm, I want one of them sheep. He can't do that. Because the shepherd's right there saying, ah, they're mine. Nope. And in the spiritual sense, same thing. The enemy can't come and steal anything from you. He has to be sneaky. He has to be sly. He has to be whispers and subtle. And sometimes we don't even see it. And we're going to talk about what he's trying to steal later. Next slide. So what, what Jesus then does here, with the, with, back to the Pharisees, is he uses a parable as, as usual. You know how he speaks. He speaks in parables. And he kind of tries to give them a little taste of what he's talking about. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they didn't understand what he's saying to them. Now, that refers a lot to the shepherd, and that's going to be... Next week's I am, but you see, you hear a lot of spiritual truth. The sheep hear one voice, and that's the one they know. That's the one they lead. That's the one, or follow. That's the one they go after. If a stranger starts trying to talk to them, nope, not going with them. Don't even know what. It's like very, very basic stuff that we teach people. Listen to the Holy Spirit, listen to God. Don't listen to all these false voices. 
easier than, it's, than it sounds, I know. Next slide. So then he says to them, <clears throat> they're not getting it. He could see it. I'm trying to explain to you how this thing works. I'm using a figurative thing, literal sheepfold example, but you're not getting it. So again, Jesus says to them, truly, truly again, this is important. I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Now there's a ton here. If he's saying I'm the door, he's saying I'm the way. I'm the only way in and out of the sheepfold. There's not a back door. There's not a side entrance. There's not an underground tunnel. There's one door in, one door out, and it's me. And obviously that sheepfold represents us in the kingdom of heaven. Symbolic. We're in the kingdom. And if you want to get in the kingdom, you got to go through Jesus. You want to stay in the kingdom, you got to go through Jesus. You want to leave the, the sheepfold and go out and find pasture and get fed, you got to go through Jesus. All your needs are met. He says when he goes out and find pasture, what he's saying there is, you stay with me and my sheepfold, you're going to get fed, clothing. All your needs are met. I take care of you. You don't have to wander off on your own. You don't have to think, oh, there's not enough for me. I better go find another. No. I'm your supply. I'm your need. It's me. And it's only me. I am that door. Before me are thieves and robbers. What he's saying to them, the Pharisees, is you have been telling them lies. You've been false teaching. You're telling them I'm not the Son of God. I'm false. You're a thief and a robber. You're robbing these people of a chance at salvation by telling them I'm not who I say I am. You're telling them they have to come listen to you. They have to abide by these laws. They have to follow every law to a T. And if not, they're sinners and they're not receiving any kind of salvation. This is what you need to follow the Pharisees are saying. The law, the law, the law. And Jesus is saying, no, just follow me. Just follow me. So he tells them, he's getting into the Pharisees, all who came before me. See, in that time, everyone knew Scripture. They knew the Old Testament prophecies. They were looking. They were waiting, anticipating the Messiah. And people would come and, and, and claim to be the Messiah, and, and sometimes people get their hopes up. Oh, is that him? No. Some Yehud fall by the wayside. And then a couple years later, someone else would come. I'm the Messiah. No, not him. So it became this build up, let down, build up, let down. So a lot of times it was easy to be skeptical. Someone comes and it's like, is this really him? And of course, they're expecting this Messiah to be warrior, defeat Rome, lead the rebellion, put, put, the, put the Jewish people back on top. And all of a sudden, when Jesus is doing his thing, love, Peace. Pharisees weren't getting it. It can't be him. Look, he's violating our laws. He's healing on the Sabbath. What's this all about? Who is this guy? They denounced him. 
Next slide. And see, he points something very distinct out to them. There's a major difference between someone who is blind to who Jesus really is and someone who knows who Jesus is and denies him or claims there's another way to salvation. You know, we, we often worry, like, what about people in certain parts of the world, they, they, they've never heard of Jesus. They don't, they're not in sin. They're what Jesus would say, they're blind. And if you go back to that verse, he told them, if you were blind, he told the Pharisees, if you were blind, then you could see. I could change you. You could be blind, but then Jesus could be presented to you, now you could see. The difference with you guys is you've seen me, you've heard of me, and you're telling me I'm not who I am, and you're telling others I'm not who I am. You're denying me. So people that have heard the truth, know the truth, they're in sin, according to, that, according to what Jesus said. So if you try to say, well, this person in, in the middle of Siberia, not fair, he hasn't heard the gospel, he's in sin because he hasn't claimed Jesus. Nope, that's not what the Bible says. He's blind, but he has that opportunity to see. He has that opportunity for someone to come to him and say, you know who Jesus is? Just like Jesus did to that blind man. He went from saying, you're a prophet. Then once Jesus said, who do you think I am? I'm telling you who I am. I'm the son of man. He said, I believe you and I worship you. It could be that quick. And that's what happens, needs to happen with most of us. And I hope it's everybody in here, it's already happened. But if it's not, or you're watching online, if that opportunity has been presented to you, Jesus is the door. That's the way to salvation. It's the way into the kingdom. And you... Maybe you need to think on it, but if you deny it and you say, I don't believe that. Someone else taught me that there's different ways to salvation. I can just be a good person and get salvation. I can just do enough good deeds and get salvation. That's what I believe. That's what I've been taught. Well, guess what you've had? A false teacher, a thief, a robber. There's people all over the world claiming different ways. You know, we, we see a lot, of, a lot of push to come to this new world order, this one religion, you know, where it's, it's all one big, everything's the same, man. Whatever, everything you believe, everything they believe, it's all the same. That's what the world's kind of pushing towards. They don't want to have any separation. You know, Jesus was a prophet, and Jesus was the Messiah. It doesn't matter, man, it's all the same. A lot of false teaching. This is why it's important and why the Bible says that we, we all need to be preachers because what about those who have not heard the good news? It's why I think God will 100% hold back the rapture and hold back everything until every person has had that opportunity to receive salvation. That's, that clearly isn't said that in the Bible, but that's just, I mean, it's just the thought kind of where I've pieced stuff together. He's not going to come down and bring judgment when there's probably millions of people that have never had a chance to experience the gospel. Next slide, please. So this all culminates to the final crescendo. I mean, most people have heard this verse. They're, they're, they're very knowledgeable of it. And I broke it into two sections because obviously two completely contradictory, contradictory things. Thief comes only to steal 
and kill and destroy. But I came that they have that they may have life and have it abundantly. Talk about two completely contrasting statements. So let's talk about the first part. Let's talk about the thief. So who is that thief? Next slide. A lot of times we just simply look at that verse and say, that's the devil. That's the devil. It's people being led by the devil, but it's not just, just the devil, like by himself. He's not going around just to every person, you know, individually doing his thing. It's someone who's trying to bypass Jesus to get to the sheep. They're trying to sneak in the back door and steal sheep. They're trying to take people out of the sheepfold without going through the gate. It's someone who's sneaky, deceiving. It's someone who claims there's a back door to heaven. It's someone who denies that Jesus is the Son of God. That's a thief. In this context, the way Jesus is talking. Next slide. What is he attempting to steal, kill, and destroy? It's not just a simple, like, he's not just trying to end your life. He's not just trying to kill you. Because let's, let's this is going to be a little challenging, I think, but think about it. If you are a sold-out believer, the devil knows if he just kills you, what, what's your fate? You're going to be with the Father. What's he gain out of that? Nothing. That's, that does him no good. Ah, I killed him. Well, they're with the, Oops, they, they found their imper- Whoop. That's not his end game. What he wants is this. Eight, Luke, Luke 8, 11, and 12. Jesus had just got done talking about a parable of sowing seed. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is God's word. The seeds that fell on the footpath represent those who hear the message only to have the devil come and take it away from their hearts and prevent them from believing and being saved. He wants to steal your confession. He wants to steal your salvation. That's what he wants. He wants you to deny Jesus. He wants you to walk away from the sheepfold. He wants you to say, I don't need Jesus. I'm angry at God. I'm mad. I'd rather embrace my sin than go over there. And That's what he wants. When he says steal, kill, and destroy, next slide. He wants to steal your confession as Jesus is Savior. If he can steal your confession, he kills your salvation. And if he kills your salvation, he destroys your soul. That's what he wants to do. Which is why a lot of times, and I, I, if I get down the rabbit hole too far, will you pull me back out, please? This is why, bear with me, don't throw tomatoes at me. A lot of times we hear, you know, like I, I, again, a sold-out believer is close to dying or, or has a near-death experience, and they're like, man, the enemy was trying to take him out. This is Book of J, by the way. This, Trust me. I'm, I think, did the enemy really just try to take him out? Because, again, what, he gains nothing out of that. If a believer gets, they're going to heaven, what did he gain out of that? 
I mean, you could say, well, he kept them from, they, could, they can still get people saved. Yeah, okay. But I see the, like, I think the more of the near-death stuff is our own choices and experiences, you know. You get out and drive in a car, you're, you're taking a risk of getting in a wreck of, you know. A lot of, a lot of times our, our experiences lead to our, our sickness, faults, crap, you know, things where we get hurt. I don't think the enemy all the time is just trying to wipe us out. I think he's more involved in trying to steal what your confession is. He's more worried about what you're saying, what you're sharing. He wants to get your thought process and your heart all messed up. And this is why I'm also careful. See, I don't think, I don't think the enemy wants to keep people from coming to church as much as he wants his people to come into the church. And that's why I'm always careful because, yes, we want to invite people. I'm 100, yes, yes. But what I'm cautious with people is, I don't like when you badger somebody and beat them over the head and say, you have to go to church. You better get, you better, you better. Because you might be bringing someone in the door that's already got a little bit of discord, already got a little bit of anger, already got a little bit of, strife, they're a gossiper, they're all these things. Now, yes, could you bring them in and they have an experience or encounter with God and get changed? Absolutely. But what can happen sometimes, you beg, plead, plead, and all of a sudden the fifth time they're like, fine. And they come back in and they sit with their arms folded and they start picking out everything that you say or said from this pulpit or said the worst thing or a song. And they start, you know, why, why do you believe? Because clearly he said this wrong. I'll find that in the Bible. The Bible says this. And they might know just enough to make them dangerous. And all of a sudden, they're out in the street telling people, well, hey, at City Reach, they're, they're telling this, and they're saying this, and da, da, da. So the person you begged and pleaded to come all of a sudden is sowing all this discord out in the community. Or in the church itself. Yeah, he's going around to other people saying, like, you really follow this people? I mean, they're good. All they want is money. That's not here, but I'm, I've heard that a lot of different churches. My, gotta be careful. A family member of mine, several years ago, not here, invited her, invited her. She came to church. First time she'd ever been to the church I was attending. She was out of town. And the service was over. And the first thing out of her mouth, very first thing, who was that person that got up there and talking five minutes, just, just wanted my money? Hour and a half, two-hour church service, and all the things she heard was some somebody got up there and wanted her money. And I'm like, that's all you got out of that? Like, so again, just to, we all know it. When sometimes you try to witness to people, they're going to have that wall up. They don't want to hear it. I've tried it. Get out of my face with it. And what I want to encourage you to do is have faith in this. When you witness to somebody or you say the love of God, Jesus loves you, da, 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 and you get met with a little resistance, back up and have faith that you planted the seed and that's all you needed to do. It's not your job 
in that moment, to get that person to get on their knees and, and accept Jesus. The Holy Spirit will draw them in. So if you go up to somebody, man, I just want to talk to you, like they're struggling or whatever, listen, God loves you. Man, I don't want to hear about that God stuff. All right. Because I can tell you personally, when I was teenager, early 20s, people tried with me. People would, man, Jay, you want, you want to come to church with us? Nope. Man, G, man, Jay, God loves you, man. He's got a plan for you. I wasn't ignorant about it, but I didn't receive it. I kind of rejected it. But you know what? When I was like all of a sudden 25, 26, I was, was in a complete mess. I remembered those times that strangers came to me and went, God loves you. I forgot, for reasons that are probably pretty obvious, I forgot a lot of things that happened between 17 and 25. People be like, man, do you remember that one night we went out? I'm like, nope. But all of a sudden when I was in that mess, I remembered strangers one time coming and saying, man, God loves you so much. Man. And you accept Jesus, talk about peace. And all of a sudden, those things start flooding in. And each of those persons, it was like I could see it. They just put a little seed in me, a little seed in me, a little seed in me. They had no idea I was ever going to get saved. Just faith saying I deposited the seed in that guy and letting go. And that's the other thing. You might not get gratification on your seed sowing. It's like easy to say, I, I need to know if this person gets saved. Was my work worth it? Was it worth it? Is it worth it to go get persecuted and you can't worry about what that person does with your love. Just like God continually gives us grace doesn't hold us accountable to what we do with it. God says, I grace you in that. I forgive you. And then you go right back and do the same thing. God doesn't say, I'm only going to give you grace if you earn it, if you deserve it. You better not get back to that thing. That's, this is it. It's all the grace you get. But I think sometimes we're, that, we're in that boat. You know, I'll, I'll give someone $20, but what, what, I need to know what you're going to do with it. What are you going to do with it? I'm going to go buy some food. I want the receipt. <laughs> we have that dilemma. You see a, a homeless person. Do we all have the dilemma? Are they really homeless? Are they, real, are they just out here, just, am I, you know, are they going to walk in today with $1,000 to their house? And their, or are they legitimately, I, I need to know before I, no, you don't. You do not. Let the Holy Spirit guide you. If you feel led to give them a $50 bill and you hand them that 50 your deal is done. If you come back an hour later and they're sitting there with a case of beer beside them, you didn't do anything wrong. You did what you felt led to do. They're the ones that chose to that act of, of love and, and throw it away. And as, again, we do the same thing with God's grace. God graces us. Thank you, Lord. Oh, God, Lord, thank you. Sin. Oh. What did you do with the grace? Threw it away, ran right back to sin. Oh, God, can I have some more grace? And he keeps giving it to us. to pull me out. All right, back on track. That's the bad news. The thief steals, kills, destroys. Let's talk about the good news. 
Jesus came and said, I want to have abundant life. Now, there's a million examples of this in the Bible. I just picked out four. What's an example? What do you mean? What's, a, what's this abundant life Jesus talks about? A lot of people read that and think, I'm going to be rich. Jesus wants me to have an abundant life. Give me that money. Eh, not necessarily true. Matthew 4.23, Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom, and he healed every kind of disease and illness. I think that would lead to an abundant life, Jesus healing you. Luke 4.18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, the oppressed will be set free. Pretty abundant life. You get set free from oppression. Hebrews 2.14, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. That's really abundant life there. In Acts 10.38, you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And I want to emphasize Hebrews 2.14. Abundant life, I think, really one of the key things for me is, is that Jesus defeated death, which is, again, our, our number one fear. And Jesus, like, if you really get a grasp that Jesus, he took care of that, we no longer have to fear death. He made the way where you say death no longer has dominion. It shouldn't bring you to a place of fear. doesn't mean you should embrace it. God has purpose for you. But at the same time, death shouldn't reign over you like this gripping fear. Because Jesus paved the way to say, I am the door. You come in. Even if, even if your life gets taken, you are coming into abundant life, eternal life with me and the Father. And that should be a peace that just, you live your life, not in fear. What's going to happen to me? That's the last slide, correct? Uh, Praise team coming back up or no? So yes, I guess. And master they come. This is a very simple, I mean, it just it sets itself up. If you've honestly never walked in that door and said, Jesus, I believe that you are the way in and the way out, and only you, there is no other way. There is no other name by which I can be saved. Today's your day. Today's the day to say, I want to receive Jesus. I want to be walking through that door. I want to be part of the sheepfold. I come in where there's unity, family. I want to come in where there's just, I know Jesus is my provider. He's going to lead me out in the pasture. I'm going to get fed. My needs are met. Will be taken care of. There's too much ugliness right now in the world to not know that Jesus 
has you in the palm of his hand, regardless of what's going on, that Jesus has you in the palm of his hand. And if you have received that, then I want to encourage people this week to share that with somebody. Make it a point this week that you will share the simple, very simple message this week with somebody that Jesus is the door to salvation. I just want to share that with you, to somebody that needs it. Because again, it's a seed that can never, ever be, I mean, there's no replacing that. That seed is an eternal seed you're putting in somebody that may, have, that may have never heard it before. Or maybe it's been years since they've heard it. Maybe they're in such a bad way that they're, I mean, they're denying it, they're angry at the world, they're, they're hating everything, and they just need something in them that says, there's hope, there's peace, there's things available. There's a God that will meet every need. There's a God that will take care of you. There's a God that sees you and only you. In the midst of billions of people, he sees you. Lord, right now, I just ask that you fill this place, Lord, with with a peace that's unexplainable. Lord, that each person here could just feel a shift That there's someone in here that just has a such just anxiety and stress and fear that Lord that you will find that person and just speak to them and whisper to them shift the atmosphere in their situation shift the atmosphere in their heart shift, shift the atmosphere in their spirit thank you for your presence, thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy your... thank you that you are that door, thank you that there is a door but Jesus you came laid down your life defeated death and kicked the door wide open and said here come Jesus Again, if you're here today and you need to come through that door, please don't leave here without coming and praying with somebody. Find somebody to pray with. And will you take the challenge? Give me a, give me a hand up if you'll take my challenge. You'll share Jesus with somebody this week. At least one person. And I just ask the Holy Spirit to go before each person. Bring them to somebody that is in need. I pray for divine appointments this week that somebody's life will change, that we will see see lives change. We'll see people just go from one extreme to the other, from broken to healed, from hurt to peace, from angry to loving. 